0: But when we talk about grabbing attention, oftentimes we're looking at the nuance of the first three seconds. You know, so if we're talking about like Instagram or a TikTok or a Facebook, what happens in that first three seconds down to the the pacing, down to are we using text? What is the, what is the visual hierarchy? We're not talking about clickbait here because algorithms and people have become too smart for that. That's where you have to hold the attention of the audience, because if you don't hold the attention, people are leaving, the algorithms catch on to that, and your content's automatically gonna fall flat. So yes, we wanna put a lot of intent into those first few seconds, but it has to correlate to the story we're telling. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure.
1: I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until so you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions.
0: Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do.
1: Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and you are listening to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. Now, here's a quote to kick off today's episode The traditional approaches are now obsolete. 100 years of marketing thoughts are gone. Alternative approaches aren't a novelty. They are all we have left. Seth Godin. So how do you win at a game where there are no rules anymore? Or even worse, a game where you can throw every cent, every hour that you have trying to figure out the rules, only to have them change overnight with an algorithm. Now there are now apparently more than 60 billion messages shared daily on mobile platforms. That's a tidal wave of noise that you, your content, your ideas, your movement, your business are up against every single day. And yet every single day, there are also organizations, individuals, and ideas that consistently stand out. So there has to be an answer, right? When I first came across my guest today, it was through his first book, 1 million followers, how I built a massive social following in 30 days. In it, he talks about how his career creating online traction and followership for A list organizations, including Disney, Xbox, LinkedIn, and celebrities such as Taylor Swift, led him, after years of his exceptional career, just to ask himself one very simple question. And that question was this What if I took everything that I have learned about cutting through the noise, everything that I know works? and I applied it to starting from scratch with the goal of reaching 1 million legitimate followers in 30 days. And what if I tried that experiment using myself as a case study? Could it be done? Well, the answer to that question was a resounding yes. And to his own amazement, in less than one month, he had generated more than 1 million legitimate followers in more than 100 countries. I'll be totally honest here. I've I've always been a firm believer that you don't need social media to build influence. And my own social media accounts should definitely attest to that. However, that said, and the focus of this conversation is that there are fundamental plays, fundamental rules that you need to understand in order to stand out on any platform, whether it's social, the stage, publishing, or even getting the attention of your colleagues. And the largest of those is understanding the rules of attention, how it works, what activates it, and most importantly, how it can be harnessed to create action. My conversation today was a complete blueprint in doing exactly that. Brendan Kane is a digital strategist for Fortune 500 corporations, brands, and my goodness, a list of A-list celebrities. His greatest strength, and I would 100% agree with this, is decoding traction. He is a master at transforming complexity, a world with no rules, into simplicity when it comes to what gets cut through in the digital world. He is the former vice president of digital for Paramount Pictures, and his current client list includes Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Charles Barkley, Adriana Lima, and brands such as Disney, Fox, Netflix, Xbox, LinkedIn. The list goes on. It's basically a who's who. He is also the best selling author of two epic books. The first one, as I mentioned, one million followers. And the second most recent hook point, how to stand out in a three-second world. Now, Brendan, as you're gonna hear, is a pretty straight talker. And so we jump straight into the two-second rule. Now we covered the three-minute rule on this podcast before when it comes to pitches and presentations, but this takes it to a whole new level. Brendan talks about why you have exactly three seconds to win our attention with online content and what those three seconds needs to contain. The power of breaking state and subverting expectations. Basically taking exactly what your target market expects to see or hear and playing around with the opposite. The keys to consistency. Now, this has to be the number one question I get asked about raising raising influence How do I stay consistent? How do I keep this going? What's the frequency? How do I not lose heart? In this conversation, we talk about the truth when it comes to consistency and why every single piece of content that I create has to have at least six additional uses. How to convert the attention that you get into action. Now, as anyone who's created content will tell you, awareness doesn't pay the bills. You need people to take action. And finally, why in the latest edition of One Million Followers, he added a new chapter at the beginning called, Dear Haters, This Is For You. Now, what you'll notice about this conversation is that we only cover organic growth. This isn't a conversation about paid advertising, although his book is full of strategies when it comes to using paid media, advertising, and placements to quickly explode your reach. It was actually a decision that I'd already made going into this interview Firstly, because I didn't wanna dive down into any technical, tactical rabbit holes. I'm not experienced enough in paid media to do that justice. Also because the algorithms change, right? They change fast and whatever was said today may well be obsolete before we press publish a week from now. However, what surprised me, and it did surprise me, was how similarly Brendan and I felt about the main reason that this conversation steers clear of that direction. To use his words, which are now my new mantra when it comes to content creation, performance beats consistency. It doesn't matter how frequently you post or communicate. It doesn't matter how perfect your production or words or how much you spend on advertising. If it's not performing, nothing is going to change. The biggest lesson that I learned from Brendan and the one that I hope sticks with you as you head back out there potentially trying to win at this game with no rules, is this. Study the fundamentals, test, concentrate your energy. And when you find something that works, then and only then throw everything that you've got at amplifying it. Now, if you're looking to take your journey and influence to the next level right now, don't forget, hop onto my website or the show notes and download the brand new version of my ebook, The Influencer Code. It covers the seven core areas and seven very simple questions that I have found hands down with everybody that I have ever worked with to be the most powerful when it comes to rapidly increasing your level of influence. Just pop in your email address and it will appear with you in the blink of an eye. My newsletter, Influence Insider, also gives one bite sized tool, strategy, or mindset shift per week, all on the topic of building a more influential life. Once again, hop onto my website, julimasters.com, and become an insider. Also, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or you're a new listener, welcome. I would love you to take a couple of minutes just to leave a review on your favorite listening platform. It makes a massive difference to our rankings and also the amount of people that we're able to reach. Plus, I get to hear directly from you and what you're loving. So that's a double win for me. On that note, stride out, sit back, drive safely and enjoy the man behind the scenes on exactly what works when it comes to traction, Brendan Kane. Welcome to the podcast, Brendan Kane. Great to have you on the show.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to connect with you and everybody that's tuning into this.
1: I'll kick off with the question that I always kick off with. It's a question that I kind of have fascination with at the moment, which is what idea is having the most influence or impact on you at the moment? And for those of you who are new listeners, the premise being that those people who tend to have great ideas, great ideas that spread at scale, they tend to find great ideas before the rest of us. So... What one idea is having the most impact on you?
0: Well, I think it's, and this is really kind of our core focus, is the world around us has completely changed. Uh, So we think back to pre-social media like 20 years ago, and maybe there's a million people on the planet that are reaching the masses, because you had to go through a television station, radio station, newspaper, and that wasn't available to everybody. You either had to have significant budgets uh, or you had to have connections, and then you fast forward to today the the dynamics, the power has shifted now we've got three point nine six billion content creators on the planet that literally with the click of a button, they can publish something to the world. Now, does that mean that every single one of them reaches the world? No, but it's the tune of two hundred billion plus messages are sent out into the world every day, so it's fundamentally changing the way that that we communicate. And the power dynamics of communication has completely shifted. So that to me is, you know, especially when we talk about getting our message, whether we're trying to market a product or service, um, or just trying to have your voice to be heard, the landscape of, of the world that we live in is, is completely different than it was um, even 5 years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, I remember when I started in social media in 2005, and MySpace had hit its first million users, and that was a big number. And it's, uh, it's completely grown from there.
1: Ignites a question in me around the power of human beings versus brands that you know, if you go back to 2005 when you said you first started in social media. I probably started in thought leadership, representing thought leaders around about the same time. And back then, you know, brands had the power. You know, brands had the budgets, they could get their messages out there and human beings were behind the brand. It feels like one of the most it, for me, one of the most f- fundamental shifts is that now influence belongs to human beings. Now we follow human beings, as you said, all those voices. Does it feel the same to you that now the power belongs to, to the human?
0: I would say the power belongs to those that can communicate most effectively. And that can be a brand. Uh, what we find is most brands are failing because they are using outdated marketing tactics Uh, to this new communication structure that we have, again, with all these people. Uh, And there's a lot of brands out there that will just spend their way out of that problem. But I would say that there's far more individuals that are communicating. So it may, from a, a scale perspective, appear that way. But if you also look at the number of individuals that are trying to communicate and failing to do so effectively, I mean, that ratio is probably very similar. So we can point to many examples of brands and individuals that are doing extremely well or that are also failing at their ability to effectively connect at scale.
1: Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the the, the points of success, what you learned. So your experiment was 1 million followers in 30 days and that was Facebook, am I correct?
0: Yeah, so we did that on Facebook first, then I did it on Instagram, but... Again, that, the, that's just one thing. It's like our team, collectively, we've generated well over 50 billion views for brands, probably over 100 million followers at this point. So the book, uh, as you dive into it, you'll see it's, it's far more than just me doing this experiment once. That experiment was used as a hook to bring people into the larger context of what they need to learn to be successful in all disciplines of social media we live in a world where there's 200 billion messages sent out every day. You're living in a world where there's micro attention for grabbing attention. So what that means is you have less than a few seconds to capture that attention, whether it's a social media ad, whether it's an organic social piece, whether it's a LinkedIn message, an email, or maybe even like stopping somebody in your office. Like you've got a few seconds to just grab their attention. Now, just because we live in that micro-attention world does not mean that you can't maintain that attention. Because you look at Netflix, people will sit there and binge watch Squid Games for 10 hours on the weekend. People will listen to a podcast for two hours, like a Joe Rogan or a Tim Ferriss. Where the challenge comes in is how are you effectively grabbing that attention, but then holding that attention long enough that you can get your point across, your value proposition or whatever you're trying to convey. And then finally, Are you able to monetize that attention? So a hook point includes all three of those key pillars. And we've just found it's critical for success in the world that we live in. And we use it on um, social media. I've used it to close massive B2B deals. It's like how I get people ask, well, how did you get MTV as a client or Taylor Swift as a client? Um, Or how did you get a million followers in 30 days? Everything comes down to this core fundamental Uh, aspect of a hook point because without it, you're going to fall flat with just the amount of noise uh, that's in the world today.
1: So let's start at the beginning there. Let's start about getting attention, getting attention with the hook point. Can you walk through some of the fundamentals of that particular section?
0: Yeah. So we have a viral content engineering process that we've developed over six years uh, that represented how we generated 50 billion views and over a hundred million the core fundamental starting point is research. Now, the, ama- the amazing thing is when we come to creativity, we're throwing out millions of data points. But if, and these data points are readily available for free. But if you look at science, they're using like if you're developing a new cure or a new vitamin supplement, you're leveraging centuries of data to inform that. But when it comes to creativity, we throw it out the door. But we want to be completely unique. We want to be completely different. But it just, it doesn't work that way in a world where, again, you're competing against billions and billions of messages. So what we always fundamentally do in crafting a hook point or having success um, with social media is research. So we will do in-depth research of identifying the content formats that are working and the ones that are not working. We want the performance drivers on both ends of the spectrum. And one of the big things that we do is we break the mold of looking at just competitors because oftentimes your direct competitors will tell you not what, will tell you not to do something, not what to do. Um, but we want to take that into consideration. But you really have to understand how things are fundamentally working before you can dive into it. So once we have that research done, we just understand what's working, what's not working. Then we use that research to set hypotheses. Okay, this is something that we believe can work for our brand based upon what this content creator or this content format is doing. Then once we have the hypothesis set, then we can start generating the ideas. Now, typically, people are just jumping to the ideas. Like The idea is the ideation is the third part of the process. We want to have a um, well-vetted research and hypotheses before we generate ideas. And then off of those ideas, we'll often rank them from the best idea to the worst idea. We'll come up with as many ideas as we can. And then another fundamental aspect of the process is we're doing single production. We're not creating a huge content calendar and planning out our calendar for the next you know, six months or even the next 30 days. We're producing one piece of content with one idea to prove or disprove the hypothesis that we just found. So that's the fundamentals of of our viral content engineering process. It's pretty in-depth. Typically, it takes us over 20 hours to to train people and just the fundamentals of it. And then it takes months to get to get good at. But when we talk about grabbing attention, oftentimes we're looking at the nuance of the first three seconds. You know, so if we're talking about like Instagram or a TikTok or a Facebook, what happens in that first three seconds? Down to the, the pacing down to, are we using text? What is, the, what is the visual hierarchy? Because oftentimes people make the mistake of they'll have a meme card or text, then they have somebody talking at the same time and they're moving. So it's like, there's so much overwhelm that the person just scrolls past. So like visual hierarchy is super critically important in those first few seconds. When we talk about YouTube, we're looking at the thumbnail and headline you know cuz most of traffic is generated off suggested video not off of search so again in, in a thumbnail or headline if you want to look at a master of this look at mr beast you know he's quickly becoming the most popular youtuber out there you know he is a master of the hook in terms of the thumbnail and headline but i want to to say something we're not talking about clickbait here because algorithms and people have become too smart for that that's where you have to hold the attention of the audience. Because if you don't hold the attention, people are leaving. The algorithms catch on to that and your content's automatically going to fall flat. So yes, we want to put a lot of intent into those first few seconds, but it has to correlate to the story we're telling. So to give you an example of like a video, a video that we did, um, or a few videos, uh, we found, uh, there was an old adage of, um, don't sweat the small stuff. So we found an inspirational or a motivational video that we reacted to and we said, sweat the small stuff. So we subverted expectations to that. Another one that we subverted expectation was the in big caps it said, warning, safety is dangerous. And then we broke down the video of why oftentimes playing it too safe doesn't lead to the ultimate success or outcome that you're looking for.
1: There's, there's so many things in there. I just want to draw an underline on. So the first one that I took there was not crowding it out, not, you know, infobesity, throwing 101 things out there, picking one piece of content, one hypothesis, testing it and testing it from a variety of different, different angles and refining it. So that was, that was the first one that I got there. And I think that many of us are guilty of just like spray and pray, just chuck it out there see what happens. So picking one and going like doing less and obsessing, number one. Um, Number two that you mentioned headlines and the importance of headlines. And I know you would have tested, as you've said, like hundreds of thousands of different headlines. I just want to go down in that for a second. Is there anything that you have noticed about headlines that somebody could pick up and apply today in terms of, right, I'm going to shift the way that I use headlines?
0: Yes. I first want to say headlines are not required. They are a tool they don't dictate... Just because you use a headline doesn't mean you're going to be successful. And just because you don't use a headline doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful. But we like to. you have to set the expectation for the viewer of what they're going to get with the video. And it has to be a valuable value or substance. So where typically people are going wrong with this is they're saying the same thing in the same way as everybody else. So for example, if we're going to do a video on meditation, you type meditation into Google, you're going to get 10 billion results. It's been around for thousands of years. So if you're going to use a headline that says, um, you know, meditation is the key to stillness or meditation is the key to, uh, being content or, or is a tool for anxiety. The minute I see that I automatically know what the content's about, even if you have a different perspective. It's... it's You're saying the same thing as everybody else. So it's like, why do I need to sit here and watch this when I've already know that? So again, um, and I'm not saying you use this all the time, but subverting expectations can be a tool. We don't use it all the time, but we've been successful with it. Uh, so, you know, uh, an example of taking that is you could have like a headline that says meditation is a scam. And that, that's a different perspective. And again, I don't want to mislead people. So I want to start the video by saying have you ever felt like meditation just doesn't work for you? Like you, People tell you you got to sit down and clear your mind, but every time you sit down, your mind is racing. It almost feels like it's a scam. Well, if that's you, I, I'm the same. When I first started meditating, I thought I was doing it wrong or people were just making this stuff up until I met the Zen Buddhist monk who taught me these three principles that I want to share with you today. So, Again, I I just want to stress that I'm using a hook, a way to grab the attention, but I am meeting the expectation of that. Um, Another example, a great example. There's a a YouTuber, Graham Stephan, who's exploded. He teaches finances to millennials. He's got, I think, over 3.5 million subscribers on YouTube, Uh, and I think his at one point, I think it still is today, but I could could be corrected. His most popular video was how he bought a Tesla for seventy eight dollars, and that is a powerful hook. But what I want you to do is, I want you to first look at the thumbnail and headline. So, looking at it from a hook perspective, but then pay attention to how he's telling the story because he uses a tool that most YouTubers call the Jenga effect. We all know the outcome of Jenga the blocks are going to fall over. We just don't know when the blocks are going to fall over. So, with each block that is pulled out, the tension builds. So, that's how they tell stories. So, if you watch that Graham Stefan video, he doesn't tell you how exactly he Bought the Tesla for $78 in terms of the math of it until like eight minutes into the video. But that doesn't mean he's filling it with fluff. You know, he is he's telling a great story about why he came up with the idea, the process of figuring it out, and that. But what he's doing is building retention of the audience. And there's a lot of misinformation about the algorithms. People, one of the biggest myths is they say, well, the algorithms are suppressing my reach so I can pay for it. That's simply not true because if that was true, nobody would ever go viral. The algorithms have one goal and one goal only, and that is to hold people on the platform longer because the longer they stay on the platform, the more ads they can serve. So what they're gonna do is they're gonna favor content creators that do just that, hold attention for as long as possible. So that's where Graham Stephan's video really took off because it has more views than subscribers. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens because YouTube is seeing wow, people are watching this for eight, nine, 10 minutes. I wanna serve this video to as many people as possible as long as those metrics hold up. So I'll give you another example. TikTok is the hottest platform. Everybody's talking about TikTok. So I have a friend that just hit 20 million followers and I was interviewing him for a new magazine that we're launching. And we broke down his most viewed video, which is 90 million views and uh, an average video that's like 5 million views. Now again, TikTok is short form content. So we were just talking about YouTube, YouTube long form, TikTok short form. The, the average um, retention rate, or not rate, but the average time that somebody watched the 90 million views was, uh, video was 27 seconds. The average time people spent watching the, the, the 5 million view video was 21 seconds. So we're talking about a six-second differential that represented 85 million views. That's the world that we live in because, again, the algorithms have billions of pieces of content to choose from. So these elements of fractions of a second, especially in the first few seconds, and then the retention graph, that's where it becomes critically important. So it's like where most people are going is they're going in the frequency game and just putting out as much content as possible which can work if your format is dialed in. But if it's not, essentially, you keep training the algorithms that you're not a great content creator. You're not holding attention. So why am I going to give you all this reach, even if you have a bunch of followers? And it's, and it's kind of interesting because a friend of mine just did a million subscribers on YouTube in like two weeks or something. It was a very short period of time. And he keeps preaching. And I and I talked to him about this. He's, he's preaching to people, post every single day. That's how you see massive growth because he used YouTube shorts to do this. But this is a guy whose format is dialed in. He is a great content creator. And if you actually dive into the data, it's three videos that drove all those subscribers. The rest of them are underperforming. So that's where, um, again, where social media is, it's... It's not easy, but it's simple. You grab attention and hold attention, you'll have success.
1: And there's something counterintuitive in that as well, which is I feel like the, the predominant rhetoric out there or rhetoric out there is you know, short, short and sharp content. Make it short, make it quick because we have micro-attention. And what you're saying is, yeah, we, we do have micro-attention. You've got to get me fast. Like a Netflix trailer, you've got to get me in and get me in fast. However, the longer you can keep me after that, the further you're going to go with your content in general and the more subscribers you're going to get and the more traction you're going to get
0: hundred percent like let's just take squid games for example let's just say 200 million people view the trailer but ten thousand people watch the entire series what's the value in netflix there is none but like if you watch squid games like hey the trailer is amazing it's an amazing hook it's like one of the best hooks for a tv show but the series, it, there's impeccable storytelling to it. Like it's really well done, and it's the same with content. Is like you 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 articulated it beautifully. Is yes, we live in a micro attention world. We have to grab attention, but that doesn't mean we, that we cannot hold attention. And there is more value on holding attention versus grabbing attention. But the problem is, you can't hold attention if you can't first grab it. So, it's kind of like yeah it's 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 kind of um a challenge, and again, grabbing attention is difficult it it really it really is um and that's where there's just nuance to it, like my creative director came from a company where they were doing about three and a half billion views a month, and oftentimes they would spend a week on the first three seconds of a video. I'm not saying that you have to be in that, but their baseline was. I think they were unhappy if a video generated anything less than 40 million views. So that was their baseline. But they they were regular hitting videos that were doing hundred million plus views. So that's at the level if you want to operate at that highest level. But you can still take learnings if you want to go from a thousand views to ten thousand views or ten thousand views to hundred thousand views.
1: One of the one of the things I love about this podcast and having these conversations in general is that. There are fundamentals, right? There are fundamentals to human attention. There are fundamentals to storytelling. There are fundamentals to engagement. And it doesn't matter whether your platform is social media, whether your platform is the stage. It doesn't matter. You need to learn the foundational moves before you jump out there and start trying to spread at scale. You you kept mentioning um, two seconds and three seconds for the videos. And you know, my background is the speaking world and I used to teach two minutes. Like you've got two minutes when, if I'm sat in the room and you're on the stage, you've got two minutes to get me and you can feel the room start to move back in their seats after two minutes, if you haven't got them by then. And after that, it's really hard. They can't leave the room, but they can check their phones. And you keep talking about this two second, three second. And it's intriguing to me that it is that short that you, that when we're talking about video content, when we're talking about online content, we're literally talking in increments of two and three seconds.
0: Yeah, and sometimes less. Like we were looking at some data today that's suggesting it's even less. Because a good exercise for everybody listening to this is the next time you open up social media, just be aware of your behavior. Like, how much time are you giving content? Like, most people are just swiping, swiping, swiping until something grabs them. Uh, Even like Instagram stories, like, it's like even if you're clicking on somebody, maybe you give them a few more seconds, but you're still clicking, like, it's going through. And again, it's because there's so much choice out there. There is so much content that you can consume that you're not going to give it that chance if it's not really engaging with
1: you. Well, let's, let's look at a, a blueprint, if it exists, I don't know if it exists. So the first two to three seconds of online content, what needs to be present in those first two or three seconds in order to have the best chance at holding attention after that point or getting it in the first place? The
0: first place is pattern disruption, is understanding the patterns that are happening in social media. Going back to the meditation, if you, if you fall into the pattern of what everybody said about meditation, they're not going to give you a shot. At the same time, you've got to understand what's happening when people are scrolling through the feed. They just watch Kevin Hart tell a joke. They watch, you know, a sports clip. They watch Kim Kardashian talking about fashion. And then your video comes like, what is going to disrupt that pattern? I'm not saying that you have to be as good as Kevin Hart and telling a joke or as good as a Netflix trailer, but understanding that people are just scrolling through what is it that is going to, um, set the expectation that this piece of content is worth stopping for. And again, it it really all comes down to research because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, I would say, distress in people we talk about as, oh my God, the algorithms are out to get me. The algorithms are shifting. The algorithms are changing. That is why our process works no matter what change happens because we're always constantly doing research. Like we're seeing what is working, we're studying what is working. Like we're working on a new shorts kind of strategy and what we've identified as one of the the performance drivers is starting with a unique and crazy statistic. Setting the expectation that we're going to tell the story behind this crazy statistic. Now that we're seeing works today. Two months from now, it may not work. But because we have that process, we can find the next thing and the next thing.
1: But there's something in there also that sounds like a foundational move. And that is that you set the expectation very early in your piece of content of as to this is what you're going to get. And you used an example before about meditation when you said, you know, I'm going to share with you three things. Is that important that very early on in the content? So you, you've got my attention, you've, you know, defied expectation, you've patent interrupted. Now you need to tell me what you're going to deliver if I sit through the entirety.
0: Yes and no. Um, sometimes you can, like there's videos that go viral, there's no dialogue, there's no text. Is like um, UGC videos of like a crazy stunt or uh, a wild animal or something where there's a visual cue that you're like, something's about to happen. I am not sure what is gonna happen, but I wanna stay till the end to figure out what that is. Um, so the easier way is to set an expectation of what you're gonna be delivering, but I don't wanna create an, a rule of thumb that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't always have to be that way. Again, that expectation has to be interesting enough that I'm willing to sit through it. So, how I bought a Tesla for $78. You perked up, you're like, I want to see it. So once you click that thumbnail and headline, you're going to watch a majority of that video as long as the storytelling is good. So he's setting an expectation with a strong hook. Mr. Beast, again, is another prime example of this. And I'm not saying that you guys should be Mr. Beast, but study it from a hook perspective. The reason Who who is Mr. Beast? Sorry. I'm very not cool. He's one of the top YouTubers in the world. He's I I don't know. He's probably close to 90 million subscribers at this point. Uh, But he does things like he'll go to a restaurant and give somebody a gold bar as a tip. He just recreated Squid Games. He spent $3 million recreating Squid Games and did it for his fans. He will give away Lamborghinis. He'll buy a used car dealership and and sell all the cars for a dollar. So he does these crazy um, stunts. And I hesitate to call it stunt because His storytelling and and the design behind what he's doing, it sounds so simple, but there's so much nuance to why he's successful. It's not like anybody could go buy a used car dealership, sell it for a dollar and be successful with that video. Same thing with Graham Stephan. Not everybody could do a video about buying a Tesla for $78 and make it work. There is nuance in, in that. But I recommend just to check out Mr. Beast, because he's performing at the highest level. And a big part is because he has mastered the art of grabbing attention, but then holding attention. Graham Stefan's another one.
1: And I think that would be a for everyone listening, that would be a very worthy piece of homework. You know, t- can you write it off as a stunt? Yes, you can. You know, can you write it off as a ce- you know a celebrity doing something that's going to get the maximum impact? Yes, you can. However, if you Watch one of those pieces of content, and I'm definitely going to do it and actually just sit back and go, what are the fundamental pieces of storytelling here? What got me in, what held me? what moment um would I retell to somebody else when I'm going to tell my husband, my wife, my best friend over the dinner table tonight what exact moment am I going to talk about and why? really get forensic about what's working in there, and then you've got a playbook that you can overlay into your own world that might be completely completely different
0: yeah and 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 there may be somebody, some people listening to this and we hear this all the time. It's like, well, I'm a mindset coach or I'm a t-shirt brand. What does Mr. Beast have to do with me? Or what does a $78 Tesla have to do with me? Don't focus on the content, focus on the context because you, again, we, we learn so much by what other people are doing in other sectors, other industries, other niches. And then we can layer that on to the content. And this is where most people go wrong if they're doing research is they're comparing themselves against their direct competition yet oftentimes when we have our clients do the research and send it to us all of their competition all the concepts they pull up are underperforming.
1: I want to talk a minute about consistency because that's the number one question that I hear when it comes to raising your influence, raising your level of authority, getting traction behind an idea or a movement is the consistency piece. How do you how do you develop and keep consistency over the period of time that it takes to rise up and one of the things that you've talked about before which which i loved and has actually been the key to the consistency that i've been able to hold now for you know four or five years is reverse engineering content Remember, you talked in um I think it was one million one million followers book about you took your podcast and you broke it down. So you did the piece of cornerstone content, you did the hard work, you did this amazing podcast interview, and then you broke it down into a series of pieces. Can you can you speak to that? Because that's definitely been one of the keys for me. I have a young family, I have a business, I have a podcast. If I didn't reverse engineer every single thing that I do from a speech to a podcast interview, there's no way I could have kept up. The level of consistency
0: yeah so let's talk about it with social media because um, this is a big mistake and a big challenge that people face is um, a they talk about consistency of posting frequency and then consistency of visuals and branding and they're creating their ideation based off of branding or this this concept of consistency And that is destroying people's performance because how can you be, how can you generate performance if you just keep doing the same thing over and over again and it's not working? Consistency can come once you have performance, but you have to focus on performance first. And again, I'm not trying to change who people are. I'm not trying to change what people say. I'm trying to change how they say it, how they present it. You know, because when you and again, is ninety nine percent of people are failing to reach the highest levels of social media, and the reason is is they're not intelligently designing it. They're creating a color palette, they're creating a brand mission or brand statement, and this happens with some of the biggest brands. And what we work with, pre revenue all the way up to forty billion a year in, in in revenue, and it's the same problem across the board. Is you have a clear brand vision, we need to be consistent with that brand vision. And all of our content is going to be made against that. But what are you learning? You're 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 not growing. And let's just say that you do grow. If you're so rigid in your consistency, you're you're gonna miss the next change. You're gonna miss. You're you're gonna stop growing with it. Uh, so so that's kind of how we look at it. It's a big thing that holds a lot of people back. And if you look at some of the biggest. Um, channels in the world, uh, they're not focusing on their color palettes or, you know, having the same length, the same, you know, structure, so to speak, each time they're, they're doing what works and then delivering their content that way.
1: So I love, I love what you said there, that performance comes before consistency consistency doesn't come before performance. There's no point being consistent at something that isn't working. But once you've found something that's working, then you can put some some dollars behind it from an amplification point of view. Then you can cut it up into a million pieces and get it out there as separate pieces of content. But what comes first is finding something that performs in terms of, a, of an intention.
0: Yeah. Because if you don't
1: know what works then what, what's the point of being consistent with it? Well, why would you amplify it? Exactly. Why would you be consistent with it? just want to change subjects. we are not move to the next one that I wanted to talk about, which was the taking action piece. So we've talked about the getting and keeping of attention. And I think that that's, you know, hurdle number one and two. Hurdle number three is how do you get, somebody to do something, take an action on the back. And you have this amazing quote in your book by um, Lathan Arniston, former VP at Paramount Pictures. And he had said, taking action is essential. At some point you need your audience and consumers to do something. What's the, what's the biggest thing that you've learned about bridging that gap between attention and action?
0: Yeah. Uh, I worked with Lathan for a while. He's he's a really smart guy, and it's a, it's the third core pillar of our platform is like you have to monetize the attention, because what's the sake of going viral for just going viral if it doesn't correlate back to your business objectives and goals? Uh, and I'm not saying that every piece of content should be selling something; it shouldn't, uh, but it has to be sustainable because one of the biggest things is social media takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of resources. Like you put a lot into your podcast into your business; it's a lot of work. And if it's not financially sustainable, you're ultimately going to have to stop it because you're either just going to be burnt out or you just have to focus on other things. Uh, So there's so many layers to that. I mean, I would say one of the biggest layers that, that we layer or that we put into our content and our ability to sell and help people sell is deeply rooted into psychology um, so we have a communication framework that's integrated into everything that we do uh, and it's been around so the since the 1970s and Pixar they don't talk about this but it's ingrained in every movie that they do and basically we look at the world from a the world in marketing as a mathematical formula so we basically break communication into math because through this communication framework uh, People perceive the world in six different ways. They have access to all different, all six, but they predominantly uh, lean in with one as their primary base. Uh, So the largest segment of the population is feeling-based. It's 30%. So these people are perceiving the world based on how it makes them feel. So if you're trying to get them to sign up for a forum or buy a product, it's all about how is this making me feel? The second largest is... 25%, Twenty five percent, which is fact based, so it's it's does this make sense? It's who, what, when, where, why. They want to know data. They want to know facts. Twenty uh, percent is fun. Is this exciting? Is this going to be a fun brand, a fun product to engage with? Ten uh, percent is value based. It's like does this brand believe in me? Like uh, can I trust them? Are they dedicated uh, it, to me as the the consumer? Another 10% is imagination based. So they're reflecting on the world. So if you ever hear stories about Albert Einstein, he would stare out into the window for hours and then to come up with his best ideas. Typically this audience, you can tell them what to do. They will reflect on it and determine if it's the best path forward. The smallest segment is 5%, which is action-based. They're not feeling, they're not believing, they're just going. So the best analogy for that is Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. He's running the entire movie. That's how he perceives the world. So typically, when we're trying to get somebody to perform an action, we typically focus on the big three, feelings, facts, and fun, because that represents 75% of the population. Now, where people go wrong is they're designing their action language, the, the action they want them to take based on how they perceive the world. So if I am fact-based, which is 25%, and all I talk about is facts and feel or facts, who, what, when, where, why, data and all that, I'm alienating 75% of the population. One of the biggest challenges is um, when people get into a state of distress because then their communication changes. So the value-based one, uh, which is 10%, they will start preaching. They will say, you should do this, you should do that. This is the big reason the environmental movement is struggling is because they are value-based And they'll tell you that you're a horrible person if you're not protecting the environment. Well, how does that connect to the person that perceives the worldly feeling? You're telling me I'm a horrible person? This doesn't feel good. Or the person that wants to have fun, you're telling me I'm a horrible person? Well, that's not fun. I'm not going to participate. So it's really making sure that you're diversifying your language and communicating in the way that, that that person wants to be communicated with so that you can effectively connect with them so they can truly hear you. Because again, it's not about the content. It's about the context.
1: And that makes perfect sense. I mean, I've, I've heard various versions of that before in terms of funnels and, and advertising. But what you're saying is if you want someone to take action, you need to figure out what their primary trigger is. And there's three primary triggers that you focus on. Primary language. Primary language. And how do you use those? So let's just say someone says, "You know, what? I'm I'm hard on fact right now. I really need to move more into the feeling. I really need to move more into the fun." But do you know what? My topic, my area of expertise, my business—it's—it's it's not particularly feeling orientated. It's not particularly fun orientated. Let's just say I sell insurance. It's very factual. How? How have you? Because I know that that doesn't you know, exclude them? How how have you learned to translate different industries into different places?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we just did a training for an insurance company. I'll give you the example of selling a house because we worked with the, the biggest uh, residential real estate company in the world. So most people, when they're selling a house, they will say, this house has five bedrooms, four bathrooms, and 1,200 square feet. That's how they're presenting the house. So that's fact-based. So if I want to broaden that out, and I'll hit as many of them as possible at this, is I may start off by saying, this house has five bedrooms, four bathrooms, and 1,200 square feet. And did you look at this fireplace? Can you just feel what it's going to be like when you and your family are opening Christmas gifts around this amazing fireplace? Oh, by the way, did you check out the pool in the backyard? You are going to have the craziest and funnest parties and all of your friends are going to be super jealous of you because bottom line, this is the coolest and the best house on the market. And I fundamentally believe that this is the right choice for you based upon everything that you're looking for. So I took the content of this house and and, and hit facts. 1,200 square feet, five engines, four bathrooms. I hit feelings and imagination with the fireplace and imagining this scenario and how good it's going to feel. I hit the pool with the fun part of it. I hit the action base because they want the best. And I said, this is the best house in the market. And I hit values and opinions by saying, I believe that this is the best choice. They want to hear your opinion based upon all of the the things that they have taken into consideration. So. It doesn't take a lot. It's not like you have to be long-winded in any of those certain areas. You just have to be you know, layering in the, the, the language so that they can connect. And the, the thing is, is if you are feeling-based and you just intertwine the feeling, then they can listen to data and facts. They can listen to fun. But if you don't first trigger them with their, their language, then they're just going to completely zone out.
1: I want to talk a second about the cost. One of the, the things I love about your writing and your book is that you're very clear that you need to make conscious choices about how you do this. Very clear strategic choices. And you said there is a cost. There's always a cost to building a following. There's always a cost to, to raising your profile. And it's either time, commitment or money. And that got me thinking because I know for a lot of people, I've got a lot of friends who have got huge followerships. And when you spend time with them over the weekend or you go away for a weekend together, you know it can sometimes feel like every 20 minutes, you know, action stops. Let's you know Facebook Live this, let's Instagram Live this. And many times I've sat there and gone, I don't know that the cost of time or time out from the moment or time out from this environment feels worth the payoff for me. How have you balanced that in your life
0: before i kind of talk about me like you hit it right on the head it's it is a, a it is a time commitment and cost and it's like think about your business or anybody listening to this think about the business that you're in how much time commitment does that take away from your everyday life you know and to be good at it you have to put in the the time but there is a balance Is like how great do i want to be versus how much do I want to take away from other things and that's a personal choice there's no right or wrong answer for that but the same applies with social media I mean it's like if you're gonna be good at it you're gonna have to put the time the investment and the resources into it now the investment in terms of dollars can be mitigated based upon your willingness to do the work yourself uh but in terms of for me you know, the interesting thing is, if you look at my social channels, we completely neglect them. Because I'm so focused on the business, like when I did the experiment to grow my Facebook, my Instagram, it was purely that it was an experiment, it was to learn. So that I can t- teach, I can inspire other people, but we have so much investment in the, the, the overall business that we're building, that I had to make a conscious choice. Do I want to spend time and be a content creator? Do I want to be an influencer? Or do I want to build the actual business? And the choice that we've made today, and it's not just me, it's my team as well, is we are going to invest our time and resources in building the business. And the better the business does, the more we can then look at reallocating our time back to organic social um, if we choose to do that, so it, it is a balance, and and I look at that balance f- less so for me because you know I'm single, I'm not, I don't have kids, I'm in kind of that that growth phase. I'm looking at not from a personal versus um, you know time, uh, is it taking away from my personal life? I'm looking at it from a business strategic perspective. Where is my time and my team's time best suited? And for us it's scaling the, the, the foundation, it's scaling revenue and profitability. And then once we have that, then we can make the conscious choice. Does it make more sense to go back to organic? Now, I know people that have focused solely on organic and have built businesses. Uh, so it can work both ways, but that's just the way that we've collectively made that decision.
1: And I don't think it matters what the answer is. I think mean, going back to, you know, what you wrote in the book is that you, there's no wrong answer, but you have to, firstly, you have to know that there is a cost. There's always a cost. There's a cost to any decision you make in business. And secondly, you need to consciously weigh up what you're willing to spend time-wise, what you're willing to spend financially on this and have some sense of boundary around it. Otherwise, you know, it can, it can take over everything. And also you're going to lose the opportunity cost of being able to do something else.
0: Yeah. And it's challenging. Like I struggle with it all the time. You know, it's not it's not an easy thing uh to do and to manage. You know, you've got to you know, growing a business uh is is difficult and sometimes you make the right decision but it takes a lot longer and a lot more money than you anticipate and sometimes you make the wrong decision and it takes you down the wrong path.
1: And I think that there are a hundred micro choices in there as well, just down to personally, how do I want to do this? So for example, my daughter started school last week, and that led me to thinking about for quite a few days up until now, I have posted pictures of my family. She's at a point now where she needs to define her own self in the world. And is this the pivot point for me where I will no longer put photos of her out into the world? So there's a ton of micro choices that you need to you need to make along the way if you're going to be doing this in the long term if you're going to commit to consistency and doing this in the long term,
0: a hundred percent. And that's how you should look at. Uh, you know, somebody had broken down for podcast, and I think it applies to everything, including social media. Is you should only start a podcast or you should only start start a social media channel if you can see yourself doing this four years from now. Because if you're if you're just in it for the quick win, I'm not saying quick wins can't happen; they can, but they're few and far between especially with the level of competition today do something else and and I you know we live and breathe social media but I can definitively tell you you do not have to have social media to be successful i want to take that pressure off of people can it help absolutely but like i you know i helped build a company that was doing 100 million a year and we had no social media presence like it, you, it, it is not required there's other ways that you can invest your time and be ultra successful.
1: 100%, 100% agree. And I think going back to a point that you made earlier, regardless of whether social becomes the platform that you focus down on, you still need to understand the fundamentals of attention, the fundamentals of white noise, the fundamentals. Yeah. 100%. Otherwise you're not gonna succeed on any platform.
0: Yeah, I use these principles, B2B deals. I use these principles when I started off in the film industry and I was making coffee and copies. And had to find a way to capture the attention of directors and producers and studio executives. So I wasn't spending years doing it. I, I use it in boardrooms. I use it to get meetings. I use it in cold outreach for be it email or LinkedIn. It applies anywhere.
1: As we kind of were at the end of our conversation now, there was a question I wanted to ask you, and it struck me when I read um, when I read your first book. The first chapter, literally the first chapter, um, was a series of questions. And it also said the heading was dear haters. This is for you. And that really struck me because I love that you faced that dragon so blatantly up front. And it made me realize that you would have had to learn how to handle both the haters when it comes, but also the fear of it coming in the first place. How, how have you learned to do that?
0: Well, it, you know, it's a constant challenge. I'm not saying I have perfected it, but to me, I want to be 100% transparent. And, and, And the version that you got is an updated version. And that update happened based upon negative feedback that we were getting from people that hadn't read the book. And I wanted to be very blunt about who this book is for, what it's about, what are the things that we cover, what are things that we don't cover, so that and, I, and I'm pretty sure I put it in the book. And if anybody listens to this, buys the book, and doesn't read, um, like it, e- email us and I'll give you a refund. I, like, I don't want anybody to be disappointed in it, but it's critically important for, for me to set clear expectations of what you're getting yourself into, um, not just with the book, but with social media in general. Because there is a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, there's a lot of um, misconceptions about what the book is about based upon the title, um, which is the blessing and the curse of having a strong hook point. You're going to get both positive and negative uh, responses to it. But I really wanted to make sure uh, when people were picking it up or considering reading the book that they know what they're getting themselves into. And if that is not a choice that they want to make, then I by all means support that. So that's kind of where it came from. And we still get a lot of negativity. Um, we listen to the negativity of people that have actually read our materials or interacted with us, uh, less so on you know, the people that have clearly and obviously not read the book, which is a vast majority of the negativity that we do get um, from the books. It's just people that just don't understand uh, what the book is really about and all of the information that that's in it
1: and that would have been a personal journey for you i'm assuming i say that because it has certainly been for me and it has been for many people that i know the the putting of something of strength and worth out there that's going to make an impact and a lasting impact that's going to every action has an equal and opposite reaction right that's going to get you both fans and and negativity on both sides of the coin if you, what I love that you've done there is you've set a boundary and you said, look, if you're interacting with my work, if you've put the time in, I'm willing to listen to you and I'll learn. However, if you haven't put the time in and you're just reacting off the bat because you're having a bad day, let's move that. Let's move that to one side.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, we've been doing this for 17 years and take and, and I think that's another misconception is pe- people probably look at this and like, this guy just did this. They don't. First off, they don't even realize how much time, effort, energy goes into publishing a book. And putting all that information together. But you know, we've we've this is a a collective of 17 years of experience. And it's not just my experience. There's other amazing people that have done more remarkable things than me that are sharing their insights and their information uh, in the book. And even in the book itself, we share contradictory strategies because again, I am a huge believer that there are different ways of achieving success, even within social media. So that's why we share different perspectives from different creators, different companies, different businesses that have achieved a tremendous amount of success. And I am not a person that's sitting here and saying, I have all the answers. I don't. The reason that we're good is we're constantly learning. We're constantly challenging ourselves. We're constantly able to admit when we are not good at something and finding the right answers. And that's why, again, I structure the book in that way, is I wanted to provide a well-rounded Perspective on the state of social media, what it takes to get successful. In addition to our viral content engineering process, that is fundamentally deeply rooted in research so that no matter what change happens, you can be successful with it. Because I don't want people to be in a situation, and this is unfortunately a lot of the social media strategies out there hashtags, time of day, frequency they don't really get to the core of what drives social media, which again, is grabbing attention and holding attention. And, and, and that's why we're, we're heavily focused on bringing viral content, engineering, training as many people as possible that really wanna get good at social media uh, because you need to have a strong foundation. And you know this, Julie, from Success in Business. If you don't have a strong foundation, yes, you may hit it quick, but you'll never be able to reproduce it.
1: And that's why when you've been doing something for a long time and you've developed mastery in it, as you as you and your team have, you are in a position where you can drill it down into where you can decode it basically and go, we have done this many, many different ways. And here is the five, six, whatever points that every single piece of success that we have had all have in common. But that that level of simplicity, you don't get that without wading through, like that's the thing that nobody sees, the wading through of complexity first.
0: Yeah, and the amazing thing is with social media, you have so many people that you can learn from for free. And I don't mean from their content, I mean from the data that they're generating. And and again, that's a big part. I mean, we, we just decided that we're gonna create a program because most people are too lazy or too busy to do the research. We're actually creating a program where every week, we are going to record our internal marketing meeting that reviews our research, give that recording to the people in our group, and also give them the research sheet so that if you don't have the time or you're not willing to do that, we're going to share exactly how we do it um, and our internal process, because without it, you're just, you're really taking a shot in the dark.
1: And how would people, for anyone who's listening, who's like, I'm in on that. How would they, I know you haven't done it yet, but how would they access it?
0: Yeah, I would just go to uh hookpoint.com uh and and check that out and also sign up for my newsletter on my website brendanjkane.com. If you're on your newsletter, you're going to get all the the updates and and everything as we uh, launch our viral content engineering training and this this new uh, group program.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, last question, very last question. If if I gave you the stage Not that you have a shortage of stages, but if I gave you a stage and a microphone and put in front of you, every single person that you would ever want to influence with the mastery that you've got, what's the, what's the one thing, what's the one thing you'd want them to know or remember in order to go back to their desk tomorrow and start making more of an impact?
0: Yeah, I would say probably going down to communication, you know, especially people that are trying to have positive impact in the world uh, and really truly transform it. They are struggling because, again, they're not contextualizing their message uh, for the way that the entire world perceives it. So, again, going back to environmentalists, I think that environmentalists have a big role in the future of the world. But if they can't effectively connect their message to the masses then what hope do we have?
1: You know, it's interesting. You, you said that last piece I had this incredible young girl, she's an environmentalist and she was in a workshop that I was running on, on, you know, designing influential messages. And she sent me an email afterwards and she said, I think that I could um, get you on board this movement. If you could just give me three hours of your time, she's a brilliant woman. And I wrote back and I said, you know what? I would be doing you no service if I gave you three hours of my time, because no one else will give you three hours of their time. Like if you can get that down to a 20 minutes for me, I'll give you, I'll sit with you through it. But that ability to be able to understand how intention, attention works, that's the key to getting any kind of idea, any kind of movement out there. Well. talk about time thank you thanks for your time i know you're on a completely different time zone to me right now and it's probably time for you to go and get some food but thank you thanks for everything you brought today
0: yeah my pleasure julia's pleasure connecting with you and everybody that, that tuned in for this
1: Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook The Influencer Code from my website julymasters.com. Also there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address and I promise I will not spam you. But it is jam packed full of ideas, tools and case studies that I have come across in my now 20 plus years of doing this work. Not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.